everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. And we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and also start out by thanking you guys for over 600 listens. That's really cool. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, before we begin this week, anything creepy, fun happen? Um, it was last week, actually, and mm -hmm. I forgot to mention, and it's really not super creepy, but it kind of scared me. So, I had, I have a pickle addiction. <laughs> and I love eating pickles straight out of the jar. Uh-huh. And I had finished a jar of pickles, and I had washed it so I could put it in recycling. And I emptied out the drainer. And I thought you had already taken the lid, because I only found the jar. And I was like, oh, Shay must have picked up the lid and forgot to get the jar. <laughs> so, this was, like, uh, earlier in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I was emptying the drainer out again. And I picked up a bowl, and the pickle jar lid was under that bowl. <laughs> but I had emptied out the entire drainer that morning, and it was not there. Mm -hmm. But it was under a cereal bowl. I remember you telling me about this. I have no clue what happened, because I didn't touch the pickle jar to take it to recycling. Because that's, that's why I would have taken it, listeners. I would have just like been like, ooh, a pickle jar. <laughs> yeah, pickle jar lid. Let me put that in my collection. I, it was The drainer was empty after I washed dishes. Mm -hmm. And then I went back that afternoon because I guess I'd eaten like cereal or something. And it was under, the bowl was turned upside down. And when <laughs> I picked the bowl up, the lid was laying under the bowl. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. I remember you telling me about it, but uh, it's, that is a little weird. Stuff in our house does that sometimes. It, it kind of scared me because I was like, I'm either losing my mind or the ghost is playing a trick on me with this pickle jar lid. <laughs> hey, you watched me walk in one time with my lunchbox that I bought home from work, and then I lost it, and we couldn't find it, and I went back to work, and there was my lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Because yes. it was like on a Friday, right? It was. Yeah. And then it was in your desk on Monday. Mm-hmm. Where I normally kept it. I think the only thing scary that happened to me, aside from buying chocolate Twizzlers, which... <laughs> were not what I were hoping that they would be. <laughs> uh, I, and I've had this experience before and I actually took a video of it and I need to find it and probably allow you to post it just to see what it is, which I think it might have been an animal underground. But I was outside, I was getting out of my car and only one of the shrubberies in the woods is, I guess it's like a small tree or something. I don't know what it was, but it was just like bobbing up and down. It's the only one. There was no wind and nothing else was moving. But then I saw it was a squirrel that was on it, and it was such a small tree that every time it moved, the whole oh. tree was moving. <laughs> I thought it was like one of the deer, because I know it's kind of late in the year, but there's mm -hmm. a deer that has two babies. They still have their spots. Yes. I've seen them going down the driveway. Yeah. And then there's one deer who is awful brave and doesn't move when you're driving by or walking towards it or walking out to the car. No. It only ran for me the other day when I let Smokey out. Mm-hmm. And like... I was like, she can't go after you. She can, she can't run. No. So you don't run from her. But I was like walking past it, and I mean, I probably could have reached out and touched it, and the deer was just like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> I've definitely had encounters with that deer too, who I blame for eating my tomatoes. Yeah. Because they're close to the house, and I'm pretty sure that one has no qualms about coming close to the house. No, they get right up near mm -hmm. the door. Yes. <laughs> but this week. I am really excited about my story. I guess I'm going to start out by asking you this, and this might make me sound weird, but just bear with me. Have you, or did you ever hang out in graveyards at any point in your life? 
I mean, only at like a funeral. And we didn't really <laughs> hang out. It was because we had to be there. True. Okay. I mean, where I went to college, there was a graveyard, I guess, kind of on campus. Um, it's up on like one of the biggest hill and it's not, I don't think it was maintained by the college. I could be wrong, but I went to Emory and Henry College and the graveyard, the cemetery, I think is the Emory Henry Cemetery. So, um, I mean, I guess the closest that I've ever came to hanging out of the graveyard is when we go to Tweety and <laughs> yes, and there's right there. one in the middle. Yeah. Um, well, a few times, like I, my friends and I constantly walked through that one up there and I do have a story about one night, which I will share for a different podcast day when I share some personal stories. At least I hope to do that in an episode. But uh, the reason why I asked that is not because I'm weird and you can always find me in graveyards. I don't actually really hang out in them. But when I was in college, like I would cut through it sometimes going to visit friends. And because it was only highest hill, it has a really beautiful view of campus in the fall, especially like when the leaves are kind of falling, but they're still all changed. You can see the whole university. It was really kind of peaceful in yeah. most of the graveyard. Uh, which brings me to today's story, um, or stories, I should say. I have collected some stories on cursed and haunted tombstones, mm. which I'm really excited to share. And with each story, or I should say with most of them, because with most of them I was able to find some factual information, but I will be sharing like the legend of these cursed or haunted tombstones and then talking about the real story behind the graves. Okay. <laughs> I like I used to be really terrified and like I know my experiences in graveyards have been like sad. Yes. Um as have most of mine. Yeah, and the, but then I always think about like when you die, aren't you supposed to like go to a place where you're either really really happy mm -hmm. or um like or a place <laughs> where you had a traumatic event? Mhm. Mm but like that graveyard unless you were like killed in the graveyard yeah, it's it's one of those things where I've heard the argument that in a zombie apocalypse, graveyard would actually be one of the safest places if you could get in a mausoleum. That's really morbid. But yeah, <laughs> but I read things about zombie apocalypse and what to do in those scenarios. But none of my stories today feature zombies. Um, however, the first one I'm going to start out with is the called the Bleeding Tombstone of Kate Blood. Have you ever heard of this? No, I I don't know about cursed tombstones other than like what i've watched on tv and they are definitely not factual <laughs> well i did not either and honestly it was kind of accidental that i stumbled upon this because kate blood was the first story that i stumbled upon when i was actually doing research on another topic and once i read her story and kind of dove into it i decided that it'd be really cool to see what else i could find in terms of other graves and tombstones that are allegedly haunted or cursed depending on the legend and what different people say. So that's kind of how I came about this topic this week. And honestly, I found more on this than I, within what I was originally looking for. Nice. <laughs> okay, so the bleeding tombstone of Kate Blood. Here's the legend. The year is 1874, four years before the final trial in the Salem witch, witchcraft trials. Kate Blood, who married George Miller and had three kids, all of a sudden just snapped one night. No one knows why, though some speculate she may have finally been fed up with her abusive husband, or... That'll do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've heard... Well, you and I have watched several stories <laughs> on TV about that, and there's even a show called Snapped. Yeah. Or the other scenario is that it may have been because of the mounting pressure from the Salem witch trials and her fear that soon 
her husband or someone else within the community would put her on trial for being a witch. Yeah, and that must have been a very scary time mm-hmm. to just be existing in that space. Like, if you pissed one of those girls off. Yeah. Or anybody, really. Mm-hmm. That was it. All it takes is one accusation and your life was ruined or possibly ended. Yeah. And if your life wasn't ended, then it was definitely ruined. Like, mm-hmm. you would never recover from that. Like, yeah. once you were accused. Yeah. So, I mean, even, you know, with... Even if she had, like, a happy marriage and everything was going swell at this period in time, that's a legitimate fear to have. Yeah. And unfortunately, probably especially if you're a woman. Yeah. I would not have wanted to live then. No. I mean, not only was I, you know, possibly being accused of being a witch, but they were not very sanitary. And <laughs> like, I need some soap. Yes. Yeah, we have talked about how we probably would not thrive well in time periods without our modern conveniences. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> So at this point in time, for whatever reason, um, Kate, this mother of three, was widely known to practice witchcraft. So on this night, when she snapped, she grabbed an axe and murdered her husband and three kids. And then afterwards, somehow, I doubt with the axe, it doesn't really say, she killed herself. After this action, the town was so disgusted by her that she was buried on the outside of the cemetery, away from all the other graves, destined to be alone forever. Well, she probably wanted it that way. Well, at least away from her husband. Maybe not from her children, but definitely from her husband. Mm -hmm. And from the people who were accusing her of being a witch. Yes! Because allegedly she practiced witchcraft bullcrap. Mm-hmm. She was probably just like, here is a, um, like an herbal treatment for your (laughs) your illness. Mm -hmm. And she's actually trying to help you when you think she's a witch. (laughs) So after her death, it was reported that her tombstone would bleed and still does to this day. There are reports of a ghostly apparition haunting the graveyard and Kate's grave, and some reports that the ghost is actually Kate, while others claim it to be a different specter. Regardless, Kate Blood's grave would become the most visited grave in the Appleton Cemetery, as many try to catch sight of the ghost and the bleeding tombstone. Question. Yes. Why would another ghost be haunting her tombstone? Well, I mean, she's... In the cemetery, but away from the other graves. So there's like an alleged ghost. And Maybe she's just curious. Like, who's this? <laughs> well, and kind of like we'll see within this story, you know, like they accused her of being a witch. So if there's a ghost in the cemetery, even though there's, there's probably other dozens of graves, they're like, it's her. It has to be her. Oh, okay. That would be my guess. Um, so there's no rhyme or reason to why it supposedly bleeds. And if the story seems light on facts and content in general... That's because it is so easily disproven. Yeah. Here's the real story of Kate Blood. Kate Blood is her actual name. Oh. <laughs> yes, that, that is not part of the legend. Although, that is you know, factual. I feel like if she was probably a badass with a la- last name like Blood, she was probably like kicking ass. People probably were afraid of her because she was a badass. I mean, at some point in her family lineage, maybe. Because, <laughs> you know, names get assigned to people by what they do, especially back then. Kate Blood was more known as Kitty to many in the community. She was born in 1851. Her father, Henry Blood, was a founding member and influential settler of the Appleton community. He plotted out the village and what would be the college as well. She married George Miller on May 4th in 1872, and George worked for the local newspaper. He and Kate did not have three daughters or children at all, but they had only one child, a daughter that she named Zanna Catherine Miller. Or it might be Zana. It's Z-A-N-A. I don't know how it's pronounced. But I did read one report that she had a son, but he died in his infancy. 
Um, she affectionately became known to Kitty to the people around the community, and they loved her for her kindness and generosity. Kitty was unfortunate. Kitty unfortunately caught tuberculosis, which, as we all know, is a major oh, killer of the time. Yeah. And in eight in eighteen seventy two, at the age of twenty three years old, she passed away, leaving behind a husband and her two year old daughter. She's like you died so young. Like people died. She so really young did. Then. Yes. So she did not kill her husband and did not kill her daughter. She was not murdered by the hand of her husband, which sometimes there are different deviations on the legend that he murdered her. Um, and in real life, there's no pr- mention of her practicing witchcraft at all. She was considered by many to have been a very beautiful woman, and her full obituary, which was printed in the January 7th, 1872 edition of the Appleton Post, ran longer than many of the news stories of the day. The obituary, uh, a little section from it, says she lived for others and for those she loved. No sacrifice was too great, which involved their happiness. Oh, she, w- she was a good person. She really was. Her influence was such that condolences were offered in the Fond du Lac Reporter, which was the Appleton Post's competitor, um, and the Appleton Crescent also offered their sympathies as well. Because apparently Appleton has several newspapers. Appleton's not that big. It's in Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. Kitty's tombstone stands a distance from the remainder of the markers of for Appleton's earliest residence because she was laid to rest on a Fox River bluff in a wooded area that while it feels separated from the pristine grounds of the cemetery, it overlooks the Fox River. So really, it's more like prime real estate as far as oh, grave yeah. plots go. Oh yeah, got the best spot in mm-hmm. the cemetery. Yes. So I wrote in my notes, so how did this gruesome tale and slanderous rumor start? Here's the answer. No one knows. It's so perplexing. And as I read this story more and more, it really kind of frustrated me a little bit that this very kind and beautiful woman has this attached to her name now after death. Yeah. No one can pinpoint to an exact origin of the legend. And as I mentioned before, it's so easily disproved. George outlived her by 40 years, at least according to his tombstone. So and by all ab- records. He wasn't abusive. No, there's no record of it. He remarried a woman named Mary Moulton Hutchinson, and they were buried alongside Kitty, which, you know, take that for what it will, that the second wife is buried with them as well. Maybe that's why there's <laughs> someone wandering around. <laughs> Kitty's daughter went on to become a librarian, and she worked at several libraries. Um, she worked, and I can't even begin to say, there's one in Michigan, it has so many E's in it, I can't even begin to say it correctly. Um, but she also worked at the Lawrence University Library, the Library Bureau of Chicago, and as director of the North Dakota Library and Commission. And she even wrote a book on library services, including what I'm sure must be riveting, How to Organize a Library. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I need to be put to sleep. I will read that. Although I do love and thrive on organization, so yes. I may actually do that. <laughs> Her daughter, Zana or Zana, however you want to say it, died in 1966 in Chicago at the age of 92. Oh, wow. Yeah, she lived a long time. Many believe this tale began because they used her maiden name rather than her married name. And as yeah. I said before, Blood is her actual name, but she married George Miller. People are awful to think if your last name last name is blood then by all means you're either a witch or a killer yeah and i even found like there were some rumors within some stories saying that she was a serial killer but again there's absolutely no evidence speculation is that the location of her grave which is on a slight trail that's far away from the rest of the grave plots made people assume that she was hidden away from everyone one report credits the legend first appearing in the 1980s and from then on, people just kept adding their own twist to it, like people do. 
Yeah, like you get a little bit, and then mm-hmm. when you don't know, you want to supply the other pieces. Yes. Anytime the graveyard is suspected of being haunted, Kate Blood's name usually come up comes up. As I mentioned before, like someone's like, oh, I saw a ghost. And they're like, it's her. And as I mentioned before, there's also a ghost story of a woman that roams the cemetery, which is named the Riverside Cemetery. And to no one's surprise, people are blaming it on Kate Blood. Uh, I feel like if it was her, she would be scarier than just like walking around. Exactly. She might be exacting revenge on people, which I mean, maybe she should do anyway now that this horrible tale is attached to her name. She sounds like such a lovely person. She'd be like, I forgive you. You don't have all the answers. She probably, that would probably be what it is. So there have been countless paranormal investigations at her grave and none of them, not even one, have caught anything. No, just leave. Leave Mm -hmm. them to rest. Just leave them to rest. That was somebody's loved one. They were a person. They had feelings when they were here. Just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Yeah. Like I said, at this point, people need to let her rest and stop these vicious rumors. And... You know, I'm kind of on the side. If she does want to come back and haunt the town, I'd be 100% on her side. I might yeah. become a poltergeist, ruin their lives if they're going to keep telling the story. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess I've kind of told it now, but I like to think since I told the real story, no one will believe those silly legends when they come to it. That's mm-hmm. not cool. All right, so time for the second story. And this one, unfortunately, is mostly legend because there's literally no other information that correlates to the real person involved in this story. And see, those I'm cool with because mm-hmm. it's like, make it up, make it scary. Yeah. But don't base it on somebody who actually lived a decent life and was mm-hmm. a good person. Yes. So this one is called The Vampire Grave of Lafayette, Colorado, mm. which I never heard of either. So I thought it was really cool when I found some of these. Back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Lafayette was a bustling mining town. It attracted men from all over the world who were looking for mining jobs. And some workers, workers, goodness, <laughs> let's try that again. Some workers came from foreign lands, including the man now known as the Lafayette Vampire. His name is Fodor Glava. <laughs> I'm glad that you're reading that and not me. I'm probably saying it wrong to some degree. Well, he was made up, so it doesn't really matter. Well, no, he existed. Oh, okay. Well, yes. then never mind. Sorry, <laughs> sir. So he, he was described as a pale and lanky man, and according to one report, he had noticeably long fingernails. He just needed some proper hygiene. Like, he was, he was cool. Just <laughs> teach him how to clip his nails. Yes. So supposedly, he was a miner that came from Transylvania, no. which you can see where this is going. Good grief. Um, and while his homeland of Transylvania made him mysterious, some people assumed that he was a vampire. Just don't look alone, like people do. All indications are that he led a modest, if not impoverished, life as a coal miner. Of course he did. And Mm -hmm. of course he's going to be pale. He's in the freaking coal mine. Like, there is no sun. No. That's, yeah, he's just underground all day. So he was buried in what would have been the poorest section of the graveyard. That's sad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these stories are kind of really tragic. He is the only one that has an actual grave marker as for, and for the writing on the marker, it's very shaky and very crude and looks like it was kind of done in haste, which might've been because he was so poor and it, either he or someone bought the tombstone yeah. for probably little money, which means of course it was not the best job. Yeah. So his grave was inscribed with his birthplace, year of death, and a few other words, which among them was this word that 
sounds and looks like. I'm going to butcher it probably, but it says Trendorfir, which is the Romanian word for rose. The local lore says that some town people dug up the grave and found blood in Glava's mouth. His teeth seemed larger than normal and his nails were still growing, which if we remember from episode five, when I talked about vampires, these are all natural parts of the decay that sets in after death. Yeah, you're... I mean, your body is your mm-hmm. body starts shutting down as soon as you your heart starts beating. Yeah, um, but of course, people at this time were not aware of this because we did not understand death back then, yeah. like we do today. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I would still argue there's so much we don't know about it. Yeah, definitely. Not. But like people did during that time when they discovered this, they drove a stake through his heart and then reburied him. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. The number of people. Who had their bodies desecrated after they passed away. Like, I know. Out of fear that they were vampires. That were somehow them. getting out of their grave from underground. You know, sucking people's blood. And then going back and reburying themselves perfectly, mind you. Because the graves are never disturbed. Yeah. Until I mean, you can people believe, bar- dig them up. Yeah. You can believe that a vampire exists, but you can't believe that mm-hmm. it's, it's just a body. Yes. It's... I mean, I am more along the lines of the dark shadow vampires. If they exist, they're not reburying themselves. They might be in a coffin in a basement in a, or a dungeon somewhere. Again, I'm going to bring this back to Buffy. <laughs> if there are vampires walking around, I hope there's an angel walking around out there. <laughs> the good one. Yes. Yes. Right, so the legend states that a tree grew up from the grave where Fodor's heart would have been. That is allegedly from the stake that was used to end his life. And it also states that the blood res rose bushes that grow there sometimes in the summer are his fingernails still growing even after death. That one does not make... Well, okay. I guess it does. Like, the thorns on the roses, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess so. It's... And I've seen pictures of this, and we'll post pictures. Like, I'll get you pictures to put on Instagram of all these graves. Um, and it is kind of weird that there's a tree, like, right in the middle of the grave. And it's, like, a big tree now. Like, it's grown. But it was probably just because his, whatever he was buried in was not sturdy enough to... Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... Yeah. Probably, like, really thin slats of wood mm-hmm. that you throw in the ground. Yeah. And then a tree sprung from it. Yeah. Like they do. And that's why it's there today. Um, now when I looked at pictures for it, so I tried to look at pictures for all these graves... Um, I could not find one with the rose bushes, even Do though they they're part even of the legend. Exist? I don't know. It's it, it's a little weird. So I don't know if that will be posted on online. But you know, if anyone finds it for themselves, please let us know. <laughs> if you live there, take a picture. Yes. And I did read several accounts where people had lived there and walked by and saw it. And I even saw a picture, which I will try to share with you also, of the engraving on his tombstone, which. You could tell it was not done very well. Yeah. And this is where the story or the legend actually takes a really spooky turn. Perhaps the scariest thing about this grave is the figure that some people report that they see sitting atop the tombstone. Many people have reported seeing a tall, thin man with a black coat, dark hair, and long fingertips sitting on top of the stone. Some people have alleged that this figure walks around the graveyard during the night. He's probably sad and lonely. <laughs> yes. He's not trying to hurt anybody. Exactly. Or there's a town prankster. Um, that too. 
was also really surprised when I saw this tombstone. It's actually, like, literally, like, a stone in the ground. So it's not, like, an actual gravestone like we know today. Mm-hmm. It stands up a little bit. And I'm like, well, if he's sitting on it... I don't know. I feel like I'd be more scared of something perched on a tombstone like we have today as opposed yeah. to someone sitting Indian style on the ground. <laughs> it would still look creepy, false. but yes. <laughs> I just, when I saw the stone, I was like, how are people reporting that it's like perched on it? Like it's flat. It's like a rock. <laughs> like you've been outside and set on the pavement. <laughs> the grave is in the current Lafayette Cemetery right by the city park. It's located in the northern side in the middle row of the graves, and it's easy to miss because, as I mentioned, it's a flat headstone. And the community and, you know, and I'll ask and say personally, if you do visit, please be respectful in, yes. of this cemetery. So is the park like um, like a park with like gardens or a park where children play? It's not a park where children play. I think okay. it's like a... Um, like botanical garden kind something of thing. similar okay. like that i mean i'm sure there's probably like a walking path and i'm sure people do play in it but i'm pretty yeah. sure it is not a playground okay um and it's actually on one side on where his tombstone is located from the picture i saw it looks like it's located above the, a highway a little bit mm-hmm. or i guess a road maybe highway was the wrong word yeah um of the town and you can see other like shops in the background but that's that's the story of the lafayette vampire I couldn't find anything else on Fodor except this legend, yeah. which is very unfortunate that I like Kate Blood, just... after death, this is associated with him now. Yeah. I think he was just a sad man. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he was, maybe he was happy. He just, you know, did not have a lot of money. And then people were being people. Yes. People, like the overall theme of this story is people are horrible. I feel like <laughs> that's like a lot of, I mean, well, of course, we're talking paranormal and true crime, so we're not mm. going to get the best of society. No, not at all. Like, Nessie's but, probably been the best that we've covered so far. Yes. Hell, I would even take, like, some, like, haunted toys. Yes. Yes. It's, I mean, I and I will get to, especially with October coming up, at least at the time of this recording, uh, I, I do want to get to some more creepier stories uh, but I just went down a rabbit hole with these because I was so interested and I think they're really cool to share and then to share the real portion yeah. of it. Um, I sound like more of a skeptic this week and I actually do believe, but I also like to know where our stories come from. Yeah. And especially if they're just kind of dumb rumors. Yeah. Or if they're like talking badly about someone who did pass away and they were yeah. making them out to be something they weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess at least in Fodor's case, people already suspected him of a vampire because he was from Transylvania and was pale because he was a minor. Yeah. How else is he supposed to get sun? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And he's probably super exhausted and being mm-hmm. underground like that, it really fucks with your eyes too. Like, yes. Like, you're not wanting to be out in the sun if you're underground Mm-mm. 12 hours a day. No. And uh, there's so much, like, dirt and stuff flooding around. You probably didn't have the proper, per- um, the PPE so mm-hmm. you probably were, like, suffering when you were not working. Yeah, it's it was not a good time. I mean, I don't think there's ever a good time to be a minor. That is not a job I would ever, ever no. want or do. Oh, my God, that's so scary. Um, yeah, that, I think that's more scary than the vampire part. I'm like, I'll deal with yes. the vampire. Don't put me in a oh, mine shaft. No, like, when I've been to the caverns before, mm-hmm. I'm not typically claustrophobic, but there's only so long I can be in a cavern before I have to get out. Yes, same here. They're not my favorite place. I'm like, I'll hike a high mountain. Let me do that. Yes, please. (laughs) All right, so our next story is called The Curse of the Colonel. 
which, as you know, that word is spelled very, very bizarrely. Because when I first saw it, I was like, the curse of the colonial. Oh, <laughs> my mind automatically went to KFC. <laughs> yes, this is the curse of Colonel Sanders and his, is it 11 or 12 ingredients? <laughs> <laughs> the spices. Yes, but no, this is not about Colonel Sanders. It is about a different Colonel or Colonel Mustard. It's not about him either. <laughs> now I'll some KFC mashed potatoes. This is the curse of the Colonel. The legend states that there is a grace. Um, well, they called it a stone tomb. I'm going to say tombstone. Okay. <laughs> there is a gray tombstone of Bucksport Town founder Colonel Jonathan Buck that looks ordinary enough except for a rather suspicious looking stain. The mark resembles a person's leg and a foot and is said to have come about after Buck burned a witch whose leg then rolled out of the fire. And seeing his mother's charred appendage, the witch's deformed son allegedly shouted, your tomb shall bear the mark of the witch's foot for all eternity. If you're going to curse somebody, would you not want to curse them more harshly than just like putting a, the image of someone's <laughs> burned leg on their tombstone? Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I did not print off any pictures to show you, but when I send them to you, wait until you see the tombstone because that's exactly what it looks like though. Those witches must not have been that mad if that's all they were doing to him. <laughs> like, we have to venture somehow, but we didn't really like her that much, so we're just going to put the image of her burned leg on his tombstone when he dies. Yeah, it is it is a rather odd thing. But according to Roadside America, the fact that Buck did not have the authority to be burning any witches hadn't stopped the grave from becoming a bona fide tourist stopped, complete with wheelchair-friendly ramps... How do you get the authority to be someone that can burn some burn a witch? I guess you have to be like a judge. Well, according to this story, he just did it. But yeah, it, back then I think it was the highest law of their land, which would have been judges. Judges and magistrates, probably. He should have just accused them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and that would have meant certain death, probably. But instead, according to this, he just burned her. Um, so now it's all, you know, accessible. But supposedly, Buck's heirs have repeatedly tried to cleanse his grave of the stain, but it always comes back clear evidence of the curse, or perhaps just a particularly stubborn crack, <laughs> which we'll get to later on in the real-life story. So here's the real-life story of Jonathan Buck. Jonathan Buck was born in Woburn, Massachusetts on February 20th, 1719, and raised in Haver Hills, Massachusetts. He died March 18th, 1795, in Bucksport, Maine. And, of course, he's the founder of the town, Bucksport, hence the name. Having settled what was known as Plantation Juan, building the first sawmill and opening the first general store. Buck married Lydia Morse. They had nine children, six of whom survived childhood. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. And that's a really good survival rate for that time. It like, really is. That's unheard of. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most supernatural part of that story. <laughs> In 1775, Buck was appointed by the Massachusetts Provincial, I guess, Provincial Congress mm -hmm. as Colonel in the 5th Regiment of the District of Maine, of the Maine Militia in Lincoln County, and placed in charge of Fort Pawnall, I think is how that's pronounced. Pawnee? <laughs> <No>, just... <laughs> um, which is located in, good grief, I cannot say these names, I was not prepared to say these names, but I think it's the... Penops, the Penobscot River? Penobscot. Penobscot. There we go. See, I always tell myself, I'm like, don't send it out. It's going to sound dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but in July of 1762, Buck sailed 
the sloop Sally up the Pentecost River to survey six plantations, which have since been designated as Bucksport. Well, okay, so I guess there are lots. So one was designated Bucksport, Orland, Penobscot, Sedgwick, Blue Hill, and Surrey. Buck made another trip to the plantations in 1763, and in 1764, he began construction on the first settlement of plantation number one, the present town of Bucksport. He was one of the leaders of the Penobscot expedition in July and August of 1779, which unfortunately was a major loss for colonial forces. The day after the Patriots defeated the British, Buck took his wife and seriously ill daughter Lydia to safety in Brewer. At the age of 60, suffering from gout, he walked the nearly 200 miles from Bucksport to Haver Hill. Okay, I do not believe he walked 200 <laughs> miles with gout. That's what it says. Um, I think somebody's telling a little fib. <laughs> Maybe they meant 20 miles. I don't know. It's said 200 you, miles. I don't even think he walked a mile with it. <laughs> Five years later... He returned to plantation number one and rebuilt everything that had been destroyed by the British in 1779. He and his sons were leaders of the community, and in 1792, plantation number one was renamed Buckstown in Colonel Jonathan's honor. On March 18, 1795, at 4.30 p.m., Buck died. He was buried in a cemetery east of Buckstown. Buck might have remained a tradition local hero, but in August of 1852, his grandchild grandchildren erected a monument near his gravesite. As the monument weathered, an image in the form of a woman's leg and foot appeared under Buck's name. I have a question. Yes. When did this alleged witch burning take place? I couldn't find a date on it. I guess at some point in his life, probably after he settled, settled what was plantation number one, so here is, he is when it's supposed to hap have yeah. happened. He's raising all these kids. Mm-hmm. Fighting in the war. Fighting in the war, walking 200 miles with cow. When did he have time to burn somebody? Exactly. And that's kind of the point of the story. Although there's little doubt that the stories began to circulate as soon as the image was noticed, the first recorded appearance of the print was in Haverhill Gazette of March 22nd, 1899. However, the article attributed a quote to an undated edition of the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Gazette's article recounting of the Buck legend has what, now, has what now become known as the classic version. And in this version, Jonathan Buck was a Puritan. And when a woman was accused of witchcraft, he sentenced her to be executed. And, as, and in this story, as the hangman was about to perform the gruesome duty, the woman turned to Colonel Buck and raising one hand to the heavens as if to direct her last words on earth, pronounced this astounding prophecy that goes, Jonathan Buck... Listen to these words, the last of my tongue will utter. It is the spirit of the only true and living God which bids me to speak them to you. You will soon die. Over your grave they will erect a stone that many may know where your bones are crumbling into dust. But listen, upon the stone the imprint of my feet will appear, and for all time, long after you and your accursed race have perished from this earth, Will people from far and wide know that you murdered a woman? Remember well, Jonathan Black. Remember well. So did she get hanged or did he burn her? Exactly. That's the differentiating stories in this. Writers who have researched the legend seem to conclude that, of course, it's fiction concocted after the appearance of the image on the monument. No records have been discovered suggesting that any version of either legend, which predates the appearance of the leg, are true or even existed then. Like, until this image appeared... There was no legend. Yeah. 
And that's not that's not bringing shame to your family. If you want, if okay, if you were a witch <laughs> and you were going to curse somebody, why uh-huh. would you not be like you and all your children and your future generations? Your breath will smell like a fart every time you open <laughs> your mouth. Like that's a curse. Yeah, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it doesn't make a lot of sense because it isn't true. No, whoever made this story up needed to do better. <laughs> So there's this image of the leg, which does exist. As I said, you can see it in the picture. Attempts have been made attempts have been made to remove the image, but it has always returned. And over the years, people knowledgeable about monuments have explained that the image is a result of a natural flaw in the stone and perhaps in the vein of iron which darkens through contact wicks with oxygen. Okay. So it's It's un- easily explainable. Exactly. And that's that's the legend. That's the legend and that's kind of the true story behind it is that the monument was just not erected the best that it could have been because people did it. Yeah. Just somebody not doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And the next story I have, Black Agnes. And this legend is rather short. John Hubbard was a Montepiler businessman who could reportedly be stingy with his money. But he apparently wasn't too cheap to skimp out on his tombstone. (laughs) He left enough funds for a haunting copper structure near his grave that's become known as Black Agnes. Local legends tell of its eyes glowing red at night and piercing screams being heard nearby and a horrible fate that will befall anyone who dares to sit in its lap. Certain death within seven days. Did somebody watch The Ring before they made this one up? (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking the whole time I was reading this. Um, However, despite the monkeyer and feminine-looking face, the statue is actually of a man, or at least an androgynous being. And the sculpture is actually entitled Thantos, which is Greek for death. Mm -hmm. So that's the legend. There's not, you know, really anything too scary about it, except the screams and glowing eyes and... The fact that if you sit down on this structure, that you will die within seven days. So I mean, I wouldn't test that out. But... No, absolutely not. Um, however, there's a YouTube video of some teenager doing it, and she's very laughy about it the whole time. And I even read an article, and it was like, but apparently this patron wasn't afraid. <laughs> and she was fine. <laughs> yes. All right, so here's the real story of John Hubbard. John Hubbard was a businessman in the Montepiler, or excuse me, Mount Pillar is how it's pronounced. I said that wrong, but then I wrote it in parentheses, the correct pronunciation in this part of the story. Mount Pillar area in the 1800s. It was said that he contested and inherited a sizable amount of money from a wealthy aunt who had originally left the city of Mount Pillar a virtual fortune. He set about this task building a public library for Mount Pillar, but at about the third of the cost as his deceased aunt intended. Needless to say, people in the area considered him very greedy and very mean-spirited. According to author Thea Lewis, the grave of John Hubbard contains far more than meets the eye. In her book, Wicked Vermont, she describes how Hubbard, a young man who preferred easy money to honest money, don't we all? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not going to try to steal anybody's money. Absolutely, yeah. No, I'm not going to do that, Frank but I mean... Shane over here. <laughs> I mean, if it would grow on a tree outside, we would have plenty. I mean, if it would grow on a tree, yeah. <laughs> we just need to work harder at manifesting. So when we open yes. our mailbox, there's going to be a bunch of checks. There we go. <laughs> so he preferred easy money to honest money, and he did pull a fast one with his aunt's inheritance, swindling the rightful recipients of hundreds of thousands of dollars in the late 1800s. Oh, jeez. That would be like millions today's money. Yes, probably so. 
Um, so is Aunt Fanny Hubbard Kellogg. Oh, Fanny. <laughs> she died childless and unfortunately was a widow. Well, I like how that's like what's left in her newspaper. She yeah. had no children. Her life was worthless. <laughs> Um, she had originally planned to leave her $300,000 estate to the city of Mount Pillar, but sniffing out an opportunity, the nail, the nail word doer, I can't say that word, the nail wear doer, the nail word doer, like, I can't hear it in my well. head. Nail do well. Okay, see, yes. I can't say it. It's terrible, and we can leave that in, I don't care. Um, we'll just say Hubbard decided that such an amount rightfully belonged to whoever wanted it, most namely himself. He sounds like a real dick. Yes. <laughs> After staging an invalid reading of the probate documents using his own duped relatives, he claimed the inheritance as his own, enraging the Mount Pillar city leaders and setting off a battle in court. Before ruling could be handed down, however, the city decided to strike a compromise, allowing Hubbard to keep the lion's share of the cash if he would pay for a new town library. The The article I read referred to him as a swindler. So it says, the swindler agreed, paying around $30,000 and arrogantly ensuring that his own name appeared above the doors as the, Cal as the Kellogg Hubbard Library. I mean, at least they got some books. Yes, they got a $30,000 building. As Lewis describes, he died a few years afterwards of liver cancer. Was Which, he childless? <laughs> well, this is terrible because the town considered it divine retribution for his sins. <laughs> Which is kind of awful. Your town hated you. Yeah, I mean, you know, karma does come back. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed away in 1899 at the age of 53 after obtaining his inheritance. And the ex-executors of John Hubbard's will were responsible for providing a monument to adorn his grave in the Green Mount Cemetery. William Paul Dillingham, governor of Vermont from 1888 to 1890, took on most of this responsibility for finding someone to construct the odd monument now known as Black Agnes. It was created by um, Austrian sculptor Carl Bitter, who had run a studio in New Jersey at the time. The inscription on the wall framing the figure from the back contains the lines from William Cullen Bryan's poem, oh, grief, these names... Thanatopus. I'm sure that's wrong. Someone could correct me later. It means thoughts on death. Um, and this is what it says. They'll go, not the quarry slave at night, scourged to his dungeon, but sustained and soothed by an unfaltering trust. Approach thy grave like one who rasps the drapery of his couch about him and lies down to pleasant dream. It's an odd inscription to say the least. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's, it's just kind of weird. Like I always he was. feel like I'm back in school when I'm reading things like that because my brain doesn't work that way. Oh, so I, I know. I have to like take it word by word. I'm sitting there like reading in my head, like you said, in school. And I'm like, okay, I've got this. And then like I get caught on and I do what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> so the line suggests that Hubbard did not die in shame, but met his death with a clear conscience. While many people suggest that the tales of hauntings and death coming from sitting on the statue's lap are just that myth, the fact remains that many of us will not dare tempt fate. Because I certainly would not. No, I wouldn't either. Like, <laughs> it sounds like he was, in his life, a real jerk. Yeah. So. I mean, he, he did swindle a town. Like, his aunt wanted all the money to go to the town. Yeah. And he did swindle them out of that. Like, that is a fact. He took the money. And then he made this big-ass monument to himself. Mm -hmm. Like. 
how much did you spend on that? And you know, at this point, they probably had to replace that library. Yeah. Like, he probably built it as cheaply as he could. And if it still does stand, great. But I know it can't be, like, in the best condition. Well, I mean, buildings don't last forever. No. But... All right, so my last story, unfortunately, is tragic, kind of like all of them have. I mean, Hubbard was a douche. But <laughs> <laughs> but this one is called Smiley's Ghost. And oh, here's the legend. I, I don't think I would be afraid of a ghost called Smiley. Eh, well, when you hear the legend, if it were true, maybe. Yeah, spoiler alerts, like, any, like every other legend, is not really true. There's a single plot in the Mill Cemetery in Garland, Texas, which this part is factual, that is home to five members of the Smiley family who all died on the same day, allegedly of a murder-suicide. The story goes that Smiley was a mean man, a very mean man. One dark, overcast day, for reason or reasons unknown, Smiley became a very angry, mean man. So angry that in his rage, he killed his wife and three daughters. A short time later, when his anger subsided, he realized what he had done, so he hung himself in remorse. It is said that Smiley is still mean and still angry, so angry at what he did to his family and himself that his ghost roams the restless cemetery each night looking for someone to take out his anger on, or another person to take down with him. There are sounds in the cemetery at night if you listen for them. A barely precipitable moan, sound as of the wind through the trees, even though there is not a breath of air flowing. Footsteps on dry leaves when no one is moving or heard. Twigs snapping when you are sure nobody else is there. Some have seen strange lights, strange lights bobbing around that cannot be explained. It is said if you stand on Smiley's grave in the dark, a sense of sadness will overcome you. You will have trouble keeping your balance and you may feel a cold puff of wind around your ankles. And for those brave enough, if you lie down on the grave at midnight, especially midnight on Halloween, you'll find it very difficult to rise back up as the ghost of old man Smiley tries to pull you down, hoping to add one more member to the family's eternal resting place. Well, I wouldn't do that because I ain't laying on the ground. No, and I'm certainly not laying on a grave. No, I wouldn't lay on the ground. That was just the ground. No, well, that is true, too. And certainly not, like, there's no rhyme or reason why Halloween night is thrown in there. Um, I could not find anything. And here's the real story about the Smiley family. So, as I mentioned, in Mill Cemetery in Garland, Texas, is home to the infamous Smiley family grave that is the entire Smiley family tombstone. It is a mass grave where all five members are indeed buried, and they did all unfortunately die on the same day on May 9th in 1927. According to several news articles on the night in question, a tornado struck the North Texas in the middle of the night when most people would have been sound asleep. And remember, this is the area where we had no warning system, no storm sirens or anything like that. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about like when I go to bed at night, like, you know, like someone like coming in the house, but that's because <laughs> I like yes. read terrible things all the time. <laughs> but you don't ever think about like, stuff like that Mm -hmm. like a natural disaster exactly i mean i feel like i lived if i lived in the midwest i would be because that's why i never actually want to live there because it's tornado alley yeah i wouldn't want to have you ever been in a tornado or like around a tornado yes and no Uh, so when i was in college there was a very close and short touchdown that luckily did no damage to the area i went in college Mm -hmm. (laughs) however that night me and two friends were out driving in this horrible storm that we thought was just a rainstorm and when we get back to campus 
um, everyone had went to either the basements or the first floor of all the buildings because of a tornado warning. Right. We, um, we got pizza, guys. We're back. <laughs> well, I think we had went down eaten in in the nearby town of Abington, but but yeah. Um, and then shortly after I graduated, a tornado did touch down in Meadowview, which is the next exit above my college. So now the college implemented a siren system because yeah. one did touch down so close. And that's the closest I've ever been because I know tornadoes can spawn anywhere. It's just where we live, because we do live in a mountainous region, it's unlikely, you know, they can't like roam and do the damage like they can in the Midwest. Yeah. After watching Twister and where the heart is, I don't ever want to be. Oh, I know. Where a tornado is. Like I, like, I love Twister, but, oh my god, that movie. It's been a long time since I've watched it. I think I remember where the heart is, that tornado mm -hmm. seemed better than Oh, Twister. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, this tornado swept through a neighborhood at approximately 3.30 a.m., and according to the Associated Press, Charles Smiley and his wife, Belle, daughter Lilith, are all listed among those of the deceased. Mm -hmm. Margaret Smiley was listed as injured and transported to hospitals in Dallas, and it also included the, the details of Margaret that she was listed as not expected to live. And then Greta Smiley, plus, here's a difference in the legend, two more children of Mr. and Mrs. Charles Smiley. This would bring the total number of Smiley family members to seven instead of five. So there is question about how many kids they actually had. Yeah. There is a report that says Dorrit Smiley was the only survivor, but records from then are hit and miss. So that still would leave one accounted for if we are to believe the newspaper. Yeah. Um, one thing is for certain is that Charles Smiley did not murder his entire family and then take his own life. The members of the Smiley family that died that night had their lives taken away, unfortunately, by a tornado. That is really sad. And again, why mm -hmm. would you make something up about someone who died in such a tragic way? Yes. Well, as for the legend, most associate the fact that the five family members were buried together. And so surely that had to come from a man-made tragedy as opposed to one from Mother Nature. Yeah, the fact that it was 1927, it was a tornado, they probably, they had five to seven children. Yeah. Money was probably extremely tight. They couldn't afford single mm -hmm. plots for everybody. Exactly. Well, I mean, I don't even know if they had plots. It was just, I think when the tornado killed them, the town probably buried them all in the same one. I could find no definitive pinpoint of why or where this legend about Charles going mad came from. Sort of similar to, you know, going back to our first story Kate. with Kate Blood. Yeah. Um. But, unfortunately, the legend is what is really haunting the graveyard today, not the family. And, unfortunately, that's the story. There's very little known information about this family. Um, I did read that there is a gravestone... A gravestone. Good grief. A gravestone. We can start calling it gravestone. That gravestone. I don't, <laughs> gravestone. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. There's a gravestone um, somewhere else nearby in Texas that has a smiley last name that people think could be one of the children yeah. of the smiley family that survived. But other than that, that's it. There's no other news on them except for this legend. And yeah, that's that's the last story that I found. So I guess the theme of this episode was people are terrible. Yes, that's <laughs> the theme of almost every episode. Yeah, true. Yeah, especially especially with the true crime parts. But, but I do like sharing the legends and I did enjoy getting the real story behind these. And the real stories are what I want to hang on to when I think about these people, not the really vicious, slanderous rumors yeah. that have come about. I mean, that's terrible to, like, make something up mm -hmm. about somebody. Like, especially, like, your children died. Yeah. 
And Although Smiley is a nice last name. <laughs> you know, I expected the legend to be a little scarier with that one than what it was. Because I, I thought it was going to be like a smiling ghost of some sort. Oh, like I pictured like, what is it called? The glass cow smile? Like the black dahlia? Oh, yes. That or like um, a clown smile. <laughs> Although, again, that is not scary. No. At least to me. I know clowns are a legitimate fear for some people. Yes. Do you remember that dumb-looking movie that I haven't seen, so I probably shouldn't call it dumb, but it looks so dumb I didn't want to see it, called Truth or Dare, where, like, whenever, I guess, the person was about to kill them, they had that stupid-looking smile on their face? Okay, sometimes when, like, a smile can be scary when you yes. know someone is getting ready to do something terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I would probably, that would pro- probably creep me out, but I don't remember that movie. I don't remember? Because, like, mm-hmm. we would see the preview on TV, and I would always, like, talk about how bad I didn't want to see it. No, what's the one that, the girl that keeps getting killed on her birthday? Happy Death Day. Oh, yes. I remember how much you did not want to see that. Yes, but now I kind of do. Not going to lie. <laughs> They've made two uh, other podcasts are talking about it now. I'm like, I might need to actually see that one. Just for it to talk about how bad it is. But yeah, I'm pretty sure the other one's called Truth or Dare. That with this stupid looking smile. And I really hated that one because I'm like, it looks so dumb. I see that would probably scare me. Because it it creeps me out when people smile when they're getting ready to do something sinister. It looks like that smile on the TikTok filter now. That's what it looks like. The sad one? No, the one... Remember, didn't you show me a TikTok? With that ridiculous looking smile oh, from the Twilight from movies. Oh, the Twilight movies? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That's what that smile in that movie looks like to me. Okay, then I would probably just be like, dude, like, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yes. Well, and as much as I'm sure you guys would love to hear us talk about horror movies we hate, which might be an episode one day, you never know. Where can they find us? Um, we're on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod and at Gmail at Monsters and Murder Pod at Gmail. Yes, we'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for over 600 listens. Until next week. Stay safe. <laughs> Bye. And don't make up rumors about people who've already passed away. Exactly. Let them be. Don't don't be hanging out in graveyards. Yes. I mean, you can walk through them. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. And then just get out. Yes. Wise words. Bye. Bye.